Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine Podcast Radio. You're about to listen to an episode of Tech Done Different Podcast with Ted Harrington. Do you follow the pack or challenge the status quo? Join Ted as he explores how to succeed by going against conventional wisdom. You'll hear leaders in technology and security tell stories about how they achieve their success by doing things differently. Knowledge is power. Now, more than ever. CrowdSec, the collaborative and open-source cybersecurity solution. Analyze behaviors, respond to attacks, and share signals across the community for free. Let's make the Internet safer together. Learn more at CrowdSec.net. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Tech Done Different. As always, I'm your host, Ted Harrington, and with me here today is our special guest, fellow podcaster, Chris Cochran, the co-founder and CEO of Hacker Valley Media. Chris, you're the man. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Yeah, it's, it's been fun watching what you've been doing, the contributions you've been making, not just as a podcast host, but more broadly across the security community. I've been fortunate to be on your show. I had, I had a great time doing that. And just it, it's been awesome watching what you're doing. So maybe that's a place we could start. Maybe you could tell me a little bit about or tell our audience about I know about it, but tell our audience <laughs> a little bit about Hacker Valley. And like, what did you want to achieve when you went to create this show? Like, what was the why that drove you to go invest all the time and effort and passion that you clearly have invested in it? Yeah, I would say the why sort of morphed and changed and refined over time. But in the beginning, I just wanted to talk to cool people like that. That's really all I wanted to do. Whenever I tell people to like, what is that piece of advice getting into podcasting is have that ulterior motive because the likes, the follows, the listens aren't going to be there in the beginning. So what is the, the thing that keeps you moving forward? And I just love having great deep conversations with brilliant folks. So that's like a perfect excuse is having a podcast to, to do that. And then over time, I realized more about myself, realized more about my upbringing, what really pushes me to be who I am today. And I realized that what I was really doing was providing a space and opportunity to share people's stories. I love stories. Stories have changed my life. I was a big movie buff, big book buff. I just love stories altogether. And so being able to interview people hear their story, put it together, and then ship it out for everyone to listen to. I mean, it, it's it's easy. I, I could do this forever. So if I won $50 million tomorrow, I'd still be podcasting. I love it. I love the self-reflection that you just revealed in the way you answered that, You know, talking about how you were reflecting about what is important to you. And that was, of course, manifesting in, in why you do this. And you talked about stories. I love stories too. And what's fun about being a podcast host certainly is that you don't even have to have the stories. You just right. bring yeah. people to bring them. So when we think about, let's maybe extract that for people who aren't a podcast host, but might find themselves maybe in a boardroom or a team dynamic or something across their organization where extracting stories from other is beneficial. So what do you think is the key component for how you can get other people to tell you their stories in ways that are compelling and helpful? Uh, you got to ask powerful questions. Questions is really where a good interview starts. Questions is where good stories come from. And when you ask specific questions or open-ended questions, that really helps guide a, a guest down to reveal more and more about their upbringing, about the challenges that they've had in the world. And 
if you listen to, I would say of Hacker Valley Studio, that's our flagship show. If you listen to maybe episode 100 on, it's almost formulaic. Like we, we always talk about the background of the individual. How did they come up? What was it about their upbringing that led them to be great in whatever it is that they're doing today? And we talk a little bit about the challenges and the stories behind getting to that place that they are now. And so, I mean, really, it's just guiding them down that path, guiding them through that hero's journey cycle when we talk about storytelling. That's that's really the secret sauce for the Hacker Valley Studio show. Love it. Yeah, I mean, at the at the risk of completely ripping off what you just said, uh, let, I, I do want to I, I want to hear your your background. So it was really interesting to me. I could feel myself perk up when you were talking about your self reflective process and thinking about kind of your own journey. So maybe maybe you could talk a little bit about how you got here. What is your background and in particular, what I'd be really liking to hear in that story is like, where was that pivotal moment? There's, I'm sure more than one, but if you could pick out one where you ran into some obstacle, you thought you were going towards a thing and then right. you adapted. And because you made, you ran into that obstacle, that was one of the key moments that led you here. Yeah. I mean, that's a loaded question, but uh, here it goes. So I, I've pretty much felt like a misfit my entire life ever since I was a little kid. I'm of uh, biracial heritage, and so I never really fit in one camp or the other. Uh, so I spent basically my entire life doing things that I think were valuable to make myself valuable and have that value be reflected in the people around me. And so I would do things like become the captain of the wrestling team or go to the United States Marine Corps or work at a national security agency and do all these really cool things. But they never really defined who I was. I thought I was bringing value to who I am as a person, but really it was just me doing cool stuff. And people would just say, Hey, congrats, you know, good job. I didn't have any parades in my name or, or statues raised in my honor. <laughs> Not that I was looking for those things, right. but just to show you that the response that I was looking for just wasn't there. And so I used dirty fuel pretty much almost all of my my adult career like going from one job to the next moving higher and higher and higher trying to find that value and really the value has to come from within and i didn't realize that until doing the podcast talking to all these brilliant people because you learn through osmosis when you're talking to people on a daily weekly basis and i mean these are brilliant people with different backgrounds different paths different experiences that they've assimilated onto themselves and so byproduct of me having these conversations, I'm bringing that in that awareness into myself. And so I was like, you know, maybe, maybe I need to talk to like a coach. So we hired an executive coach, Ron and I have the same executive coach and we were working through some of my, my history. And she kept seeing this, this theme come up of not having my value be reflected. And I was like, man, I mean, you're right. And so we were talking about different instances in my childhood. And now it used to be that I was doing all this stuff to sort of like point the spotlight at me. Like I wanted to do all these things to say, hey, everyone, I'm here. I'm important. But then what, what happened is, and I didn't even realize it, is that slowly but surely that the fuel that was dirty, that, that I'm going to show the world that I'm special, turned from that to more of a purpose-driven sort of approach where I was... I want to be that person that highlights the greatness in others that I didn't have when I was younger. So now I look for those stories, those beautiful human stories to share with the world. And now it's a, a much more clean fuel. Like I can go off this fuel forever without it being self-destructive. So that's, that's really where my drive comes from. 
That's pretty fascinating. What I'm hearing you say is that the major transformation for you was originally you were you had external motivation and that transition to being motivated internally. And, and by motivation, I'm referring to your the way you validate yourself. You were looking for right. others to say, yes, you are good. And you realized eventually that, hey, Chris has to say Chris is good. Yep, absolutely. Would you say, you know, I know you're not a board certified psychologist, neither am I. So we're maybe shooting from the hip here. Yeah. But would you say that you obviously, I mean, you obviously have a lot of experience in security. You've spoken to a lot of tech leaders throughout the years of your, your career and the podcast. It seems to me that there's a, a pretty consistent theme of this, you know, imposter syndrome issue that we see with these ridiculously smart people doing right. these incredibly important things, hesitant to maybe share what they think. I mean, you see it at DEF CON all the time, or, or maybe you haven't seen it. I see it all the time where people who could give an amazing talk won't even submit it. Because right. they're like, well, I'm not good enough or smart enough. Do yep. you think that that, I guess there's two questions. You're, I think you're already answering the first is, do you also believe that issue is widespread? And the second is, uh, do you think that has to do with the same validation issue? Yeah, I would say so. The scary part is I think it was getting better for a while because I feel like the community is more inclusive. But I think self-imposed imposter syndrome is going to get worse because things are only getting more complex. The, the technology is changing faster. The threats are happening faster. Just everything is just is exponentially faster than it was before. And what that means is there's going to be more of a division of knowledge and understanding between these different technologies and how everything kind of integrates together. You have those few folks that like live and breathe this stuff. Like they work all day, then they go home and they do research and things like that. And those are the people that are going to have a pretty close hold on what's going on out there. But then you have the folks that they might, they do their work, they might do a little extra in the off time, but it's going to be hard for them to keep up with everything. And so when you're in an environment that isn't a learning environment, that's when imposter syndrome kind of sets in. That's when you feel like you're not good enough and you don't want to ask questions because you don't want to, you don't want people to find out that, oh, they don't know this. They, they should know this, but I mean, you have to realize that I don't care how much time you spend on this game. You can't know everything. It's so it's so complex and you can go so deep in so many different realms in technology and cybersecurity and really anything. So just knowing that you do have a base, right? Whenever you got hired at whatever job you're in, they hired you for a reason. It could be for your critical thinking skills. It could be for your coding skills. It could be for your leadership ability. It could be for all these different reasons. But to understand that you're never going to know everything about everything. And I think as long as you're in a learning environment, it's not toxic. So you can feel free to fail and learn and fail and learn again. But when you're in that that toxic, like, oh, you don't know that? Well, I'll, I'll tell you this and this, that, and the other, all, all this kind of negative crosstalk. That's what makes it hard for people. And, and that's where imposter syndrome can be really damaging for somebody. I love this idea. I'm, I'm interpreting the words that you said. So correct me if I'm taking this wrong, but I love the idea you just presented that was basically, essentially a learning environment is the antidote to imposter syndrome. Is, yep. is that a correct summary? I would say that. So for those listening to the show right now who have the ability and the authority within their organization to create a given culture, and if we're arguing that we should create a learning environment in order to thwart this problem that impacts security really across the board, the security community, what should a leader do in order to foster that learning environment? Yeah, honestly, they have to be that example. They have to show vulnerability in a meeting. They have to say, I don't know something. 
because obviously you hired people around you that are better at what they do than you are. So showing that you don't know something, being open and, and also allowing and giving space for people like, hey, who, who doesn't understand that? Because I, I can understand that it might be a difficult concept to, to comprehend. So if you don't understand that, like, let's just go ahead and explain that for everyone, just so we're all on the same page. So like that communication, the empathy, all that stuff that that makes great leaders is how you can foster that learning environment. I love it. Yeah, it's it's interesting because a lot of leaders, they can be intimidating, right? If leaders are yep. really smart, uh, they're, they're leaders because they're intelligent and they might not even, actually most leaders don't mean to be intimidating, yet they wind up being intimidating. And right. so what you're saying is not only, uh, well, I'm again, interpreting, sort of reading between the lines, but not only do we have to create this learning environment, but leaders need to also sort of deal with that. The fact that they're, the people who report to them might be intimidated by them. Is that part of what you're saying or did I just go off the uh, reservation? That, no, I mean, that might be part of it. I can see how leaders could be intimidating for folks. And so just receiving feedback on a recurring basis, like checking in with your team, asking them about like communication styles. Some folks like direct communication. Some folks like a little bit of bedside manner, for lack of a better term. So mm -hmm. really, you can't lead the same and expect everyone to receive your leadership the same. So understanding the nuance of your team is going to be important. And so then also asking like, hey, if, if I'm communicating to you this way, are you receiving that well? And I mean, you can make it better than what I just said, but just having that open feedback loop for anyone, that feedback loop is what makes anything great from sports to hobbies, to work, to life, that iterative improvement, that feedback loop, like, Oh, I didn't, that didn't work. Well, let's, let's tweak it, tune it. That works. Okay. Let's keep going up this rabbit hole. And that's what'll make something great. So constant feedback as the leader, tweaking and tuning, experimenting, failing fast, and then doing better the next day is really where all that greatness comes from. Yeah, I love this idea of a feedback loop, iterative improvement. So let me ask you about a particular type of feedback loop where maybe it's difficult to solicit feedback. So in your case, you have built a podcast and one <laughs> of the things about podcasting is that you don't know the listeners. Uh, right. You build a show for the listeners, hopefully they come, hopefully they're you know, you know, know, reacting to what you're building and numbers over time eventually signal whether you're doing that or not, but you can't actually right. directly ask a listener, is this working for you? Yet you've been able to do it. So mm -hmm. maybe what, what I'd like to do is to explore, how did you do that? Like how, what is the iterative process you went through when you can't actually solicit feedback from the people you're trying to serve? Mm -hmm. And then how can we apply that to people who maybe aren't building a podcast, but are building something where they also might not be able to solicit feedback or they might not be able to solicit a lot of it. You know, someone might be able to give a talk and sure. they give a talk to 150 people and the post talk survey gets like five results. And they're like, right. are these really the, like, is, is this the improvement I should be making? What do the other 145 people think? How should we right. go about that when we can't directly solicit feedback? Yeah, there's a couple of different ways. One way we've been able to solicit direct feedback. And I mean, to your point, it, it's got varying degrees of, of weight based on the number of people that take it. But I've done polls on LinkedIn asking about podcast show length. Like, do you prefer 30 minute shows, 45 minute, one hour? Would you rather have a daily podcast twice a week? You know, asking different things like that, or even some of the makeup of the show. Like, would you prefer us to talk about more or more technical things? or more human element stuff. And so all of that, we kind of tweak and tune 
it gives us a little bit of a signal and we could choose to ignore the signal or we can apply it to the show. And uh, I mean, the other thing is like constantly talking to people when, when, when I find people listen to the show and I tend to ask like, what is it about the show that that's been helpful for you in, in any type of way, whether it's entertaining or educational, or maybe they use it for their work. Some people have said they've gotten promoted based off the things that they've implemented from the show. So, I mean, a lot of that stuff is what kind of pushes us to continue on with some of that, because we know that if someone's finding value of it, that's, that's really what's important for us. So that's how we get some of that feedback. But then also, I mean, there's also an experimentation aspect to it where we'll try things that have never been done. We have no data to support that making this decision or, or taking this step is going to be helpful at all. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But that's it goes back to that iterative like feedback and improvement loop. Hmm. So how do we address the reality that most people want to be nice and don't want to lead with critical feedback right out the gate. Maybe communicating mm -hmm. through the internet's a little different. People <clears throat> maybe do the opposite. They're like a little more of a jerk if they can anonymously post something. But okay, you, you use the example, you're talking to a person at an event yep. or wherever you meet them and you ask for feedback and most people's default is gonna be to say something nice. But right. that doesn't necessarily help you. How do we overcome that in order to get to something constructive? Yeah, I would, I would say it's the way you stem the question. Uh, if you looked at something that you were producing, whether it was a podcast or YouTube videos or even like your research or something like that, one way to do that is what would be one way it would be even better for you or what would he, what would make my show or my podcast or my YouTube video, what would make it even better next time if I incorporated or took away from some of the, the stuff that I've already created? And so that'll open up like, okay, they, they want to improve. They want to get better. So I'm now going, even if I didn't before look at it with a critical eye, I can now look at it and say, oh, okay. Um, it might be a little bit better if, if you, if you joked a little bit more, or mm. it might be a little bit better if you spoke more. I know you love to give the guests the, the, the highlight. We want to give them their, their spotlight, but uh, we want to hear from you more because we think you have some really wise, wise words about X, Y, and Z. So if someone were to do that, I think that would uh, open up the room to give some of that critical feedback. Yeah, it's fascinating reframing of the question too, because now you've taken it from, can you give me some positive or negative feedback or whatever, to can you help me solve a problem? And right. that kind of person is that, that shifts the mind in terms of how they can now help you solve that problem. Right, exactly. I like it. So let's shift gears a little bit. I want to talk about something that I know you're really interested in. I'm, I am relentlessly trying to learn more about uh, Web3. Yeah. So I know you're creating a new show about this. Maybe you could start by defining, you know, for everyone who I'm sure everybody listening to this has some sense of it, but I would like you to define it. What is this new area of tech? Why does it matter? Why should we pay, be paying attention to it? Yeah, so Web3 is all about decentralization. Uh, we had Web1, which is relatively static, right? These are web pages. Then we had a more dynamic with Web2. These are, we're able to go to these different applications and different solutions and interact with one another. But now we've gotten to this point where things can be decentralized. So we can decentralize everything from finance to our organizations. We can de decentralize those. We can decentralize art. Uh, there's so many things that you can decentralize with this uh, Web3 technology. So this is things like blockchain technology. This is things like non-fungible tokens or NFT. I'm sure people have heard of NFT art. There are so many things in this Web3-like sphere that are going to make 
big, big waves if, if they haven't already made those tremendous waves for technology. Mm-hmm. And why is decentralization important? Why should we care? So decentralization is important because that's where things are starting to trend. So when you look at finance, when you talk about decentralized things, and I should probably say the caveat that don't take anything that I say as financial advice. I am not a financial advisor, but the way things are working with finance is you have these decentralized currencies like cryptocurrency. And now you've taken it from this place where you and I, if we wanted to exchange money or if I wanted to loan you money or anything like that, you and I would have to go to the bank. I'd give the bank the money and then the bank could give you money. But now in this decentralized economy, I can give the money directly to you. We don't have to use an intermediary to do that. And that's uh, the, the same as art. We don't have to have these art dealers. We can trade art amongst ourselves. We can, if I'm an artist, I can make a collection and I can trade directly with you. And so now we have that relationship and there's not an in-between. So when you think about decentralization, think about it from the context of taking the power from organizations and putting it into the hands of individuals. What are the downsides to that? People can be stupid and organizations yep. can be more capable. Um, I, by the way, I'm fully in support of this. So I'm just, uh, are, I'm just trying to explore the uh, counter argument. There, oh no, there's tons of downsides at the moment. There's a lot of ambiguity. No one knows the legalities of a lot of different aspects of Web3. There, you run into issues there all the time. There is uncertainty. There are people that are taking advantage of people not knowing how to operate in this realm. So things like fraud and concepts like rugging. Rugging is like if you had an NFT collection and you say, okay, we're going to put out 5,000 beautiful image of this thing and attached to this token, you'll have access to this thing called Never Never Land. And it's going to be a big amusement park. And this costs you know a million dollars to have access to it, just making a generalization. And then you buy it, you buy this thing. And then not only is the art terrible, it's not as advertised, but also there is no Never Never Land. So mm-hmm. that that organization just rugged the world. They, they stole money from everybody. So people are taking advantage of this like wild, wild west, like gold rush. So that's some of the issues. And also it's very early on. Things are not in a, in a very, I guess, baseline level. There's still a lot of growth that's happened. A lot of this grew out of this year alone. So when you think about being nascent in a technology perspective, it, we're very, very early on for the technology. So there's a lot of misunderstanding. There's uh, quite a bit of fear. There might be even some ignorance mis- mixed in there. But then also there are people that are trying to take advantage of people just like any other type of well-funded, community-led, society, culture-led thing that happens. So. Mm-hmm kind of nature of the beast, but uh, hopefully things will get, get really much improved soon. Yeah, I, I certainly believe so. I mean, Gary V is out there talking about how within whatever, 10 or 15 years, every single person will have multiple NFT things, right? You're, right. It's how you prove whether you own an airline ticket or uh, your wedding contracts, you know, all, yep. all kinds of things will be on NFT. And what's really interesting about what you just talked about, this idea of like fraud and all the issues that come with these emerging technologies, to me, what I find really striking, maybe if we talk about cryptocurrency for, for one of these aspects of this new world, mm-hmm. most of the headlines that you see about cryptocurrency that make their way to the broad population outside of like the cryptocurrency blog forum, whatever, 
they all tend to focus on the ideas of fraud and hacking and you know criminals using these things and there's there's really strong negative narrative around these which in a way for those who are early in investing in these things that's a really positive because eventually once that changes and the sentiment improves the thing that's worth x today will be worth you know 10x whatever 10 years from today right do you think that this is a problem and if so should we combat it and how i mean when it comes to media like like the your traditional media that's like looking for news stories i mean they're usually going to find the more inflammatory the more controversial headlines that they can i i would say like if someone was interested in the space to do like legitimate research like really look into the origins why was cryptocurrency created why did the bitcoin white paper what 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 was in that why why was this such a game changer when it comes to finance why are all these other coins popping up how does one know if one coin is going to be better or the other and there are going to be questions that you're not going to be able to answer like that one there's thousands of cryptocurrencies at this point which one is going to be used globally i don't think anyone really knows i mean we have ideas we have a good feeling of what's going to be useful and what isn't but I mean, it's really it's really still so early on that no one I don't think anyone's able to pinpoint exactly what's going to be usable, what's not. So a lot of it is not only like research, but it's also going back to experimentation. Some things are going to work. Some things are going to not. Some cryptocurrencies are going to shoot to the moon and some just are are going to go away without a lot of fanfare. So, I mean, it really it's it's all up in the air. Yeah. It's pretty exciting for people who are paying attention right now, because when you look at the adoption phases of any technology, I mean, we're at the very, 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 very early end of the adoption of these technologies. And yeah, the future state of it, 10 years from now, will cryptocurrency, what will it look like? It'll probably be some version of what we see today right. adapted. Yep. And that's kind of exciting. It's like, I don't know, maybe the invention of the mobile phone. Like it's that significant. The mobile phone probably impacted people. You know, people probably paid attention to that closer because it was easier to understand. Like you understand a phone and you understand being able to not have a cord. Right. (laughs) Cryptocurrency feels too like, what is this magic money that you have this internet money that you're talking about? Yep. (laughs) So if you look at what's coming in 2022, you mentioned that NFTs kind of came to fruition or, or came on scene really in 2021. What do you think is going to be 2022? What's it looking like from the experts that you're talking to on your shows? Yeah, I would say just different utilizations of blockchain technology, because right now the big thing that brought a lot of people to the culture is the NFT art, which is really, really cool. But I think there are going to be business and economic use cases for blockchain technology that we haven't even begun to think of. Like you said, you know, you listen to, to Gary Vee sometimes. Uh, he was just yeah, on one of his uh, Instagram stories. He was talking to somebody that was a personal trainer and they were like, uh, well, how can I use, you know, personal training and NFTs together? He was like, make an NFT your invoice. Like whenever you invoice somebody for personal training, you know, have an artist make it and send it all along to them. And that and, and it's co- encoding in it is the contract, the smart contract for how we do business together. And then if that artist blows up, then all of a sudden you have this token that's now worth actual money. And then you can trade that. And that person that started that smart contract might get a piece of it. I mean, there's so many different applications. I mean, 
the main reason that, that I really perked my ears up, the, I mean, the art was great. I, I do like art. The cryptocurrency, I'm less understanding of. But what really got me to really perk up was the, this idea of smart contracts where you can code into a token like once if this happens, then this. So if this sells on a marketplace, the owner gets 5%. Can you imagine like a business that no longer has to have inbound or outbound payments and, and, and accounting where they have to manage it that way, but it's all like managed on the blockchain? And so now there are thousands and thousands of transactions happening at any given moment. And all of that is being handled by the code itself. And so you don't have to necessarily worry about that. You worry about the end state, but you don't have to worry about, oh, let me make sure I get this money from this person over here. I got to make sure I get this money from this person over here. So thinking about all the different concepts and ways in which you can utilize NFTs and smart contracts for business, I think is going to be the future. Yeah, I'm pretty excited to see what's going to happen with two spaces in particular, because you see tremendous inefficiency combined with changing business models. First, in the way that movies are consumed and paid for, you know, transitioning from the theatrical model to the streaming model. And that industry is rethinking its whole revenue model. And then the second is music. So yep. artists and how they get paid and they used to sell CDs and now they sell individual songs or they sell streams. And you have to think because the inefficiencies in those two places combined with the transformation they're going through right now, enter this NFT marketplace. There's got to be disruption that's going to happen Ooh. because of this. Yeah, for sure. I'll be, I'll be keeping an eye on that. We'll, we'll see what happens. We'll revisit this in like five years. And yep. Well, we'll you heard it here first. <laughs> you heard it here first. Well, cool, man. Well, it's been, it's been really awesome chatting with you, having you on the show. Your wisdom is just profound. I find myself learning as we're going here. As we wrap up and our time sort of coming to a close, what parting wisdom do you want to leave with our audience? What haven't we talked about that's really meaningful to you that you want to share? Yeah. I mean, you, my, my go-to answer is usually empathy. Uh, empathy is one of those things that I feel like we just can't get enough of in today's world because we tend to forget that people are people. We tend to forget that the person on the other side of that table, on the other side of that email, that chat message, that tweet is an actual person. We're separated from that fact. But I would say, in addition to that, I would just say, Oh, open your eyes and be aware of like what's going on and then do your research. Don't listen. Oh, uh, I think I heard somebody say that this is terrible. So I'm just going to go with the, the concept that it's terrible. If you really want to have a strong opinion about something, look into it a little bit deeper. I think that makes the world better because there is an empathy to it as well. But also, I think it just makes you a better person in the world because now you're armed with a little bit more knowledge because I've seen a lot of inflammatory marks towards some of my colleagues when they talk about things like social justice or they talk about things like new technology like Web3 and they get a lot of hate and that can hurt people. It really can hurt people because those are real individuals that take on that those inflammatory marks. So before you start saying really bad things to bad people, I would do a little bit of research before you do that, but you shouldn't be doing that in the first place. I love it. Empathy. We definitely have to have more of that. No, no doubt about it. So Chris, you're the man. Thanks so much for being on the show and sharing some of your wisdom. with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on the show. All right. For everybody to learn more about what Chris is up to or to request to appear on the show yourself, just head to tedharrington.com backslash podcast, and we'll catch you next time. CrowdSec, the collaborative and open source cybersecurity solution. 
analyze behaviors, respond to attacks, and share signals across the community for free. Let's make the internet safer together. Learn more at crowdsec.net. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tech Done Different Podcast with Ted Harrington. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then share ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.